Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Are you a follower of Christ? Are you an imitator of Jesus? Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? John the Baptist was ministering in the wilderness east of the Jordan River, and thousands came to see him, and, and many of those who came to see him were baptized as a sign of their repentance Jesus was one of those who was baptized by John. Uh, Jesus insisted. John didn't want to do that. Then the other texts tell us that immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness and Jesus spent the next 40 days being tempted of the devil. His temptation ended, his victory assured. Jesus now returns to the site of John's baptizing. When John tells the story of Jesus' baptism just in the verses previous to what we read now. He tells it past tense. It's, it's John's story of what had already happened. And so the time frame is a little different. If you do a casual reading of John 1 and say, where's the 40-day temptation? There must be a problem here. Well, it's a, it's a deal of the 40-day temptation took place. Now Jesus is back. And John now tells the story in past tense in the text of Jesus' baptism, saying, and, and you know what? I, I think this happened many times. Not that Jesus was baptized many times, but that John told the story many times. You know, he, John had grown up with the Spirit telling him that you are going to be the forerunner of Christ. And as he went into the wilderness, the, the Spirit told John, this is what's going to happen. You're going to see the Spirit of God descending like a dove on this one, and you will know that this is the Messiah. This is the King. And so when that experience took place in John's life, and he baptized Jesus, and as they came up out of the water, he saw the Spirit of God descending on Christ. It was like the epitome of John's life. It was like the most exciting thing that ever happened to him. I, it did happen, just like they said it was good, just like the God said it was going to happen. How cool is that? And, and I got to believe that John, in his preaching, told that story again and again. So now two of his disciples are there, and they heard, heard yesterday John say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Maybe they were there at the baptism. Maybe they just heard John talk about it. Next day, John sees Jesus again, and it says, Behold. And it's not just, hey, would you look at that? But rather, it's, would you look at that? Right there, that human being, that man walking there is God. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John was amazed at that concept, overwhelmed by it. And his disciples got it. The, Two of them, I believe, one, one the text tells us is Andrew. I, I think the second one is the author of this text because John the Apostle never refers to himself by name. He always gives some incognito thing where he, he doesn't talk about himself, but obviously it was an eyewitness, and so who else would know this? And so the, the other person talked about must be John. And so I think it was Andrew and the Apostle John. And, and as... John's agenda became clear to Andrew and John. 
that this was the Messiah. You should follow him. Uh, these two disciples of John the Baptist began following Jesus. They began tailing him. Jesus, realizing that the two were following him, turned around and said, what do you want? What, what do you seek? These are the first words of Jesus as recorded by John in this gospel. What do you seek? What are you looking for? What do you want? Isn't that interesting? That God would ask seekers, what are you looking for? What do you want? It reminds me of where we were in our discipleship class today where Saul is smitten down by the bright light and he turns to Christ in that moment and says, who are you? <laughs> As if to say, hey, I, I need to know details here. I need to know who is this that could knock me down and speak to me like this. So Jesus reciprocates. What are you looking for? What, what, what do you seek? And John and Andrew said, well, we'd like to stay with you. We'd like to know where you're sleeping. We'd like to know where you're staying. It was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And Jesus said, come and see. And so they came to the place where he was staying. And they spent that evening with him. Um, there are a lot of important details missing. Like, what was for dinner? That's always important to me. You know, it's, it's a hereditary thing. Grandma Curtis, her letters, she always told what she ate, you know. And I don't know why I, at Bible College, 300 miles away from her, needed to know what she had for supper and whether or not it settled her stomach well, but it was in her letters. And so as I read this text, I say, what did they eat? Maybe more importantly, what did they talk about? What was it that happened that night that would radically transform Andrew and John's lives for the rest of eternity. But something happened that night. In the conversation, I don't know how long they stayed up. I don't know who did most of the talking. But I do know this. When they woke up the next morning, John and Andrew were convinced that this was the Christ. So much so that I believe they both went, although the record only tells us that one did, I think John went and found James. That's not in the text, but I think John went and got James and said, James, this is it. And James becomes a believer, so much so that Herod Agrippa will kill him many years later. But the text tells us that Andrew goes and gets Peter, his brother. And notice what Andrew is convinced of in the text. He says, Andrew, he says Peter, we have found the Messiah. We have found the anointed one. We found the one that Moses talked about and said it was greater than he was. We found the one that Isaiah talked about that would be born a, a king, a wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. We found the man who Isaiah, Zechariah said would ride in in triumphant in a donkey as only the king of Israel would ride into the Zion. We found him. We know it's him. This is the man who will thunder out at Pentecost. Andrew found his brother. I think Andrew reveals strongly his theology and looking forward to the kingdom when he says, we have found the Messiah. Jesus now, with these four, I believe John, James, Andrew, Peter, determines to head back home. Back to the north shore of Galilee where he had kind of relocated. Nazareth, if you would think about the Sea of Galilee looking a little bit like the Sea of Winnebago, all right, the pond that we have here, 
If you think about a map and you would put, um, say, about maybe Wapaka is too far, beyond Winniconne though, on the way, maybe somewhere in the neighborhood of what's next on the way, um, Fremont, that might have been about where Nazareth was, if you look at Winnebago. So it's kind of in relationship to that. Bethsaida, where the guys were from, would be over about where the Jordan comes into Galilee at the north side, a little bit like the fox leaves Winnebago on the north side. And so if you think about where the fox leaves Lake Winnebago, that's about where Bethsaida was in relationship. And that's the hometown of Andrew and Peter. They're going to end up doing the fishing business in Capernaum. That's where Peter has established his business. And they'll end up spending most of their time there over the next three years. But now Jesus decides to go home because in that distance of, in that area where we might think in, in relationship to Winnebago from, say, Fremont over to Kakana, it was a place of zealousness. In fact, they called a lot of the people in there zealots because they were determined to overthrow Rome. This was where the, the doctrine of fundamentalism among the Jews thrived in that era. They were believers and they were looking forward to the king coming back the king that would establish things and kick Rome out of Israel and make things right. And they ate differently up there, I mean, than they did down in Judah. And they just everything, it was home. It was home cooking. And so Jesus now determines to go back to Galilee to establish his business of ministry. But before he does so, the Bible says Jesus found Philip. There's not a whole lot in the New Testament about these guys, but John makes a point in this gospel that we would know that they found them. And Jesus finds Philip, I think probably hanging around the ministry of John the Baptist. In the next chapter, we're going to learn that these disciples go with Jesus to a wedding. Now, you often don't go to weddings uninvited. Why are you here? Well, I'm a friend of a friend of a friend. No, 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 no. You go to a wedding especially one where there's food and you're invited to the dinner because you were a guest. I don't think it is surprising to me that Jesus' disciples from the north side of Galilee would also be invited to the same wedding that he was invited to from the north side of Galilee. So Jesus finds Philip, probably also from Galilee, probably also a disciple of the Baptist. He finds Philip and he says, follow me. Philip goes and finds somebody else. It's interesting to note in this that Andrew and John volunteered to be disciples of Jesus. Peter was recruited by, a, a friend, by his brother. Philip was drafted. Philip now finds Nathaniel. Note the claim that Philip makes of Jesus. He says, this is Jesus of Nazareth, the one that was spoken by Moses. Nathaniel doubts. Smart man. Wonders whether or not the promised king could come from that place where Gentiles lived with Jews. And so if the Gentiles lived there, (coughs) that's not a good thing. And if the Jews were living there with Gentiles, they must be compromising Jews. So how in the world could they live there? Jesus now tells Nathanael the very thoughts of his heart. Can you imagine someone walking up to you today and said, Hi, good to meet you. And they tell you your name and you say, how do you know me? You know, I'm, I'm getting to that age where I can meet new people again. 
So, so N- Jesus goes up to Nathaniel and greets him and says, Hi, I know you. And Nathaniel says, How do you know me? And he says, Well, yesterday when you were sitting under that fig tree, this is what you were thinking about. And Nathaniel wisely says, You've got to be God. He's the only person who could possibly know what I was thinking about yesterday while I was sitting underneath the fig tree would be God. That's it. Nobody else could know that. You must be the Messiah. He says, Rabbi, teacher. Had he heard Jesus teach? I don't know. I don't think so. I think it was probably more of a term of respect. Throughout the Bible, you don't find much about this guy, Nathaniel, again, except that there's a guy named Bartholomew listed in the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I'll call this uh, a guy Bartholomew that's not talked about in John. Um, he, this Nathaniel, is with the Galileans, the six of them, in John chapter 21, when Jesus appears to them in the north shore of Galilee after his uh, resurrection. Um, most believe that Nathaniel and Bartholomew are the same people. Same people, same person. That they, they are one. I have a first cousin. I call her Sid. Her name is Tamara. She is today a 55-year-old, 56-year-old office manager in a high skyscraper-type place downtown Minneapolis, Minnesota. She tells IRS lawyers what to do. But when we get together at Thanksgiving, I call her Sid. Why? Because that's what we called her. So why in the world did John call Bartholomew Nathaniel? Well, they both grew up in the north, north side of the Sea of Galilee, and I don't think there has to be a line drawn to understand that what John called Nathaniel was different than what everybody else called Bartholomew. I mean, everybody else. I remember the first time I called Sid, Sid at Thanksgiving in front of her then five, six-year-old boy, he looked at me like, what's wrong with you? And, and Sid goes, that's that other weird name, right? Sorry. And I said, ooh, should I call you Tammy? And she goes, no, 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 don't worry about it. So John calls this guy Nathaniel. I think the other guys call him Bartholomew. John, Jesus tells Nathaniel that he will see very God. And I believe for the next three years, Nathaniel saw God in the flesh and is now present in that great throne room, seeing God there. John and his brother, James, Andrew and his brother, Simon, Philip and his friend, Nathaniel, perhaps all greatly influenced by the ministry of the Baptist, perhaps all reared in the zealous region of the North Shore of Galilee, these six are the first disciples of Jesus. Again, I ask you this morning, are you a disciple of Jesus? When I asked, I saw some people slowly think a little bit, some of you a little quicker nod, some of you not so much. Are you a disciple of Jesus? From this text, I think there's some things we can learn about disciples. Number one this morning, disciples follow Jesus. Disciples follow Jesus. Note in the text, if you will, that word shows up in verse 37, which says they followed him. One of those that followed him, verse 40, and again in verse 43, when Jesus actually calls Philip, he says, follow me. 
disciples follow Jesus. They tailed him. They watched where he went. They then went where he went. And notice in verse 39, not only did they follow him, but they followed him to the point that they remained with him. They were known to be people who spend time with Jesus. They followed him to Galilee. They accompanied him to the wedding in Cana, it says in the next chapter. They ate where he ate. They ate what he ate. They slept where he slept. They helped in his ministry. They preached the kingdom that he gave them to preach in obedience to his command. For three years they listened to him. For three years Jesus was the very center of their existence. No, no, not for three years. For the rest of their lives. They followed him. They followed him until some of them died following him. That was their purpose. If you are really a Christian, you will follow Jesus. If if you have been converted, if the Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of you, this will be something that marks your life. You will follow him when you eat. You will acknowledge his presence when you sleep. You know, one of the advantages of getting to be an older male is I have opportunities to pray throughout the night that I never had before. I'm serious. I've actually begun to thank God that he wakes me up or that my body wakes me up multiple occasions during the night. You know, I used to get ticked about it. There I am again. You know, it's 11.30. Now it's 1.30. Now it's 3.30. Now it's, that's a bad night. I'm sure you guys all want to know about my habits. I wake up, get back in bed, and I say, let's pray for the missionaries this time, or let's pray for marriages this time. And you know, praise God, it doesn't take me long, and I'm sleeping again. I'm sorry, I fall asleep praying for you often. Follow him. Well, why do I pray for you and for others in the middle of the night? Because I've determined to do so. It's a whole lot better than being mad about getting up, Right? It's a whole lot better than worrying about, you know, what's going to happen next. But a decision to follow means a decision to do certain things, like pray for people in the middle of the night. And so I do because I've chosen to do so, a follower of Jesus. It says, there he is, that is God, I'm going to follow him. I'm going to emulate him. I'm going to choose to copy him. Let me ask you, where is the best place Those of you who are part of Trinity Baptist Church, you know the answer to this. Where is the best place to learn of Christ? And how much time were you in that book this week? Are you determined to imitate Jesus? Are you determined to know him? Number two, disciples follow Jesus. Disciples experience Jesus. Experience. I, I, I'm, I'm maybe stretching that a little bit, but I take it from verses 36 and 39, rather, and 46, where Jesus says, come. Come and see. Disciples respond to the invitation to investigate, and they experience the Christ. Discipleship is not a class. It is not a study. It is not a correspondence course. In fact, I don't believe discipleship can be learned in the classroom Discipleship, it must be lived. It is experiential. You cannot know Jesus until you have followed his command to come and see. It is not enough to know about him. You must follow him yourself. 
You can watch other people follow Jesus. You can imagine what it would be like to be a follower of Jesus. But until you have set your affections, you've chosen in your head, I'm going to follow him, and you've begun to experience what that walk, what it means. As Paul said of his life's ambition, that I may know Christ. You cannot truly understand discipleship until you've experienced it. You could study marriage, for instance, but to know marriage, you must experience it. You could, you could study fatherhood. You could read books about being a dad, but you have no clue. Until 30 years ago, a weight fell upon me on my way home from the Mendota Hospital, and for the first time in my life, I knew, knew that whatever I did for the rest of my life would mark someone to whom I had given my name. Discipleship is like that. Until you've become a father, you don't really know what it's like. Until you've been married, you really don't know. But until you have followed Jesus, you have set your affections on him, you have determined, this is the way I will live. It's going to change your marriage, folks, if you decide to follow Jesus. It'll transform the way you treat your children if you decide you're going to imitate Christ. It will change what school you go to. It will change how you educate your children. It will change everything about your life if you decide that you're going to experience Jesus Christ, to know him, to follow him, to obey him in everything. Come and see. I see in this text, thirdly, that discipleship means more discipleship. Disciples make more disciples. They so believed the Messiah that they excitedly told others about what they had believed. John and Andrew find their brothers. Philip finds Nathaniel. I read this story and I immediately begin to make excuses of why I don't excitedly tell others about Jesus. You know, these guys were in a time and place of religious fervor. Nobody talked about football or the weather or politics, not much anyway in the north shore of Galilee. If they did talk about politics, it was about getting rid of Rome so that the king could be established. It was about how they would respond when the king showed up. From childhood, the rabbis who taught in this area had thundered with them about the Messiah. And now John the Baptist had whipped this whole group of zealots into some kind of religious fervor that was a pinnacle. So all day long, this is what they talked about. So it made sense that when Jesus showed up and John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that these men would excitedly tell everyone what they had just learned and determined. I live in a very different world. Most of my neighbors do not passionately talk about the coming kingdom. <laughs> None of my neighbors passionately talk to me about the coming kingdom. We talk about, you know, garbage and leaf pickup and cold weather. Even now at Christmas time, our attention is upon earthly calendars and human activity. If we're a disciple, though, and we've set our sights on following Jesus, and we've determined to experience him for who he is, ought that not change our relationship so that we make more disciples? 
We ought to tell our friends about what we have. We ought to rescue them from the burning. We ought to take time to mentor our children to live Christ before them because disciples make more disciples. Disciples follow Jesus. Disciples experience Jesus. Disciples make more disciples. Number four, disciples share in the glory. Jesus said to Nathaniel, do you believe? You'll see greater things than these. Nathaniel, you're going to see me walk in the water and then calm the storm. Nathaniel, you're going to see bread and fish miraculously multiplied by the ton. Nathaniel, you're going to see the lame walk, the blind see, the dead live. Nathaniel, you're going to see demons cast into hell. Nathaniel, you're going to see God glorify me, and in seeing me, Nathaniel, you will see the glory of God. You will see very God. Like a conductor acknowledging his orchestra after a performance, so Jesus glorifies his own. Psalm 50, 23 says, Whoever offers praise glorifies me, and to him who orders his conduct aright, I will show the salvation of God. A passage we were in in 2 Thessalonians just a few weeks ago, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning at verse 10, I read, When he comes, talking about the physical, literal return of King Jesus to this planet, when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints, and to be admired of all those who believe, because our testimony among you is believed. Therefore we also pray for you that our God would count you worthy of his calling. And fulfill the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. That the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you. And here's, here it is. And you in him. <laughs> I'm going to glorify Jesus Christ? How in the world is that possible? And here's a bigger one. He's going to glorify himself in me? Yeah, that's not going to happen. Next phrase. According to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. You, my friend, if you were a believer in Jesus Christ, ought to be a disciple. Everything I've said today ought to apply to you. And if you would say... Number one, can't happen. Number two, is it worth it? I would propose to you that by grace it can happen, and to doubt it is to doubt God. And number two, is it worth it? Are you serious? Are you serious? Should we check with Nathaniel today? Should we ask Peter? What was the best day of your life, Peter? The day you denied Christ? Or the day you preached at Pentecost. Again I ask. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Am I? Oh God. Work in our hearts. Help, help us to seek you. Here it is Christmas and we're surrounded by so much. May we with Paul say that I may know him. May we respond to the invitation of Christ to come and see. May we determine with the Galileans to follow. I'd ask you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed and for a moment or two to consider what you've heard today and what the Holy Spirit may be trying to tell you.
Are you a follower? Do you trail Christ like some kind of a private eye? Where's he going now? What's he doing today? How is he affecting her life today? How is he working in my wife today? What is Jesus doing now with my husband? Huh? Are you looking at him? Are you determined to follow him? Are you looking at his word to find out who he is? You can't just fabricate this. God has told us who he is. Are you following Jesus? Are you a disciple? To the extent you say, oh God, I don't think so. Is that not sin? What are you going to do about it?